in your opinion, what do you think is probably the toughest region to kill a mature buck? That's definitely the South. I mean, it's just, there's no true funnels. There's no true, you know, wood lots inside corners. There's nothing really to funnel them unless it's kind of man-made. It just, no doubt about it, it's the South. Formed a bunch of my scientific learning while I was in the Southeast, because that's real deer biology there. I mean, you, you know, it's not that, as you know, thousands of acres of corn and soybean fields. You got to dig in, do some real, real work down there. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Southeast Whitetail, episode 47. I got Corey Parker on the line. Um, and we're going to talk about doe management this week. Yeah, man. Yep. Talk about regulating antlers deer. How am I doing? Yeah. I mean, I'm getting ready to roll for Christmas. Yeah, I've had I've had I've had a great morning. Yesterday was great. My mother-in-law took my kids uh early. Um, she's, and we're going up there to, to, to her farm today. So we've been, we've been, uh, child free past 24 hours. I miss them, but it's nice. That's for sure. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just weird. Like at night, you know, just quiet. Yeah. And, and remember all that stuff that like you used to do, I know me, like you'd get home from work. And there'd be like a ton of stuff you're going to do, you know, organize your hunt gear or get ready for the next hunt or house stuff or whatever that you would do after work before dinner or after dinner. And I, I just, I can't do any of that stuff anymore because you're playing, you're doing homework, doing bath time, you just spend time with the kids, which is what, what you want to do, but it's less time. There's definitely a new level of time management, you know? Oh yeah. When you have kids, it's definitely a new level. You know, like my son this morning, we went coon hunting last night. So we're down here at the farm. And um, he slept a little while. I woke up before him, and I got up this morning. And I had to like efficiently use my time before he woke up. You know, I couldn't just <laughs> sit around and drink coffee. I had to like efficiently get things done. And then once he got up, I had to get a bath and get him fed and all that kind of stuff. So we're about to head home. We got his mama's missing him. Not so much me, but we're about to head home here in a little bit. We well, you, you had a pretty good day. A six, very successful day yesterday at your place. Yeah, we had a good day. You know, we went duck hunting yesterday morning. Obviously, you were there. Um, and we kind of – we had a good morning. Killed a good mixed bag of ducks. Not the most ducks we ever killed. I think we I think we wound up with 10, I think. Um, and then uh, last night, uh, your cousin and a buddy of mine from work, uh, they came over and we went we went coon hunting. I took my son. Uh, it was probably a late night for him, but uh, – we got on some big coons and 
I'd never done that before. It was a good time. Um, and, you know, look forward to doing it probably once, twice a year. I don't know if I can make it a – I don't know if it could be a all-the-time thing, but uh, it's definitely fun. Uh, I will do, would recommend we'll do it again. Let's put it that way. You don't think it's in your blood after last night? I mean, I'm not going to go buy dogs and, you know, it seems guys who do that are pretty pretty committed to the <laughs> coon line. Yeah. Yeah, it, you're right. It's definitely fun. Um, I did it once in my place with Francis last year or this year, I think in January, February. We're going to do it again after the deer season ends shortly. Um, it's fun. It's fun when it's in your own place. It really is. And uh, this is a good time, man. Like you know, you just took out some 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 pretty big. Uh, were they were they bully coons? I, just... I think they were bully coons, but they okay. were hanging out. They were a gang. You know, we treed two of them in the same tree, and they were, according to Francis, they were, they were exceptional size coons. So I think they were, I think they were a roving gang of, of raccoons that kind of kept all the other raccoons scared off. So <laughs> we might have more of a problem now. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. That, <laughs> that was, that was good, man. Um, if anyone, if anyone wants someone to come, um, on their property hit me up my my cousin francis has has a uh, two dogs and and you can go with them he he's um he just likes working his dogs and that is something pretty cool that um you know is very similar to watching a dog retrieve ducks or um point quail the dogs work so that's that's something fun to see yeah it's fun watching them do what they're bred to do i mean like you know yeah. a lot of people say i'm born to do this but no those dogs are born to do that and you can you can see it in them and any kind of working dog but there was something happened last night like the first time we turned out and it it, it was interesting because francis is just so in tune with his dog i guess like mm -hmm. he knew as soon as that dog opened up he said something's not right and um he treed and we got down there to the tree and, you know, he wasn't sure. He said, he's not acting right. And it was a big cedar tree that had a whole bunch of, you know, you couldn't really see into it that well. And Francis just kind of did, he's like, I don't think there's a coon in it. And I was like, well, how would you possibly know that? He's like, I can just tell by the way he's barking. I can tell by this and that and this. And, you know, I'm like, I, whatever. So we, <laughs> we, we messed with that for a while. He's like, I think we need to take a break. Let him reset. We got him some water and came back here about 15 minutes. And we turned back out. And it was like a different dog. I can't explain it, but Francis knew hmm. you could just kind of sense something was different with him. And that's when he treated those two coons. And after that, he was locked in, man. I mean, he was, I guess the adrenaline was going and, and Huck was locked in at that point. So that's it was awesome. Fun. Yeah. It, <clears throat> it's always cool. It, it, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter, but what type of hunting? Uh, I can't think of one that I wouldn't enjoy, I don't think. But when you're out there hunting with someone that's working a dog that that understands that dog and they have a connection, it's uh it's pretty cool. So yep. all right. Well, I know this is gonna be we're gonna try to keep this kind of short, sweet, get to the point. Um, we're both prepping for Christmas. I mean, it's what the twenty third, Christmas Eve's tomorrow. Uh yep. so we got a lot ahead of us. So we're going to talk about doe management and, you know, I put out an article, um, well, I put a, put out one on, on a QDM back in the end of October 
And then I guess last week or the week before, one about the kind of data that you can pull, what you can learn from killing does uh, late season. And, um, I, you know, I follow a lot of hunting social media. I know you do too, Corey. And I I know you're going to see a lot of it this time of year anyways, because in most pretty much everywhere except for like, you know, Mississippi and Alabama, the rut's over big buck hunting for most parts over. And so now people are going to quote, fill the freezer, you know, you know, doe management. I'm, I'm going to shoot two does and get my quota and conservation. And, and I, I've been seeing a lot more of this popping up and it seemed, and, and I've, and I've seen the, I've seen the social media responses, comments from people saying like, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're now promoting all this, but you know, all you do is obsess about big bucks, you know, not towards us but towards other, other brands, you know, you obsess about big bucks, you know, 330 days out of the year in the last 30 days of the season, you're going to focus on dough. So what gives, and that's one that, you know, I wanted to put that article about QDM and I want us to cover that, the, the philosophy practice, but man, I mean, in my opinion, what do you think, Corey, to me, it's like, as long as we have deer, as long as we have whitetails, and we're hunters, there will always be an, uh, a place for QDM. Yeah, I think, uh, like I've said before, in, in my opinion, um, that deer hunting really took off, and it really started, I mean, obviously deer hunting's been around as long as humans have been able to sharpen sticks, um, but when QDM really took off, you know, started and started kind of proliferating, especially, and I'll be biased, especially through the South, um, and just because that's what I know. But um, that's when you started seeing deer hunting get really good. I mean, we've talked about it on this show before. Um, I mean, I remember when I was a when I was a youngin. I mean, seeing a deer track up in North Georgia on my my grandfather's farm, that was a big deal, man. That was something we talked about at dinner, like seeing a deer track down by the creek, uh, and my grandfather on my mom's side i mean they ran dogs um and that's just kind of what you did um but it was just a different a different level of expectation on deer hunting now you know we're kind of it's kind of a victim of its success really i mean people are yeah yeah so obsessed over antlers and everything but that's only because the quality of deer you know the quality of deer has gone up and the quality of expectation has gone up and um i think it's a good thing and now we're kind of you know, you know, with your place, I mean, the more you do, the more you have to do, right. Uh, the more you improve your property, the more you have to do as far as, as taking does and, um, which is a lot of work, you know, it's, it's fun the first couple of times, but when you're cleaning 10, 15 deer in the afternoon, you know, into the night, because you've got a group up there, it's, it's work. So, um, I think QDM if you, is exactly what, the name says it's quality deer management for quality deer hunting. That's what I think. So, I don't know if that answers the question. That's right, man. I mean, it, it, you're exactly right. And we've touched on it in the, you know, off and on that uh, when you improve stuff, habitat, herd quality, A, B, C, D, E, and F, you got to kill more deer. And, you know, if you listen long enough, you can hear people say it. Um, they, the guys and girls in the know in this space 
Um, but it often gets overlooked, you know, as far as you're, you're sinking all this time and energy. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you have 50 acres or, you know, 5,000 acres. At a certain point, you're going to need to ramp up how many deer to kill. Um, and um, so that's what I wanted to cover. And, and uh, you know, we shoot does at our place. Um I was about to say year round. We don't shoot them. We don't shoot them year round yet, but um, season round. Season, season round. round. That's right. Season round when it's legal, of course. Um, we start early uh, as soon as we can. September fifteenth. You know, to me, it 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 kind of defies logic. Um, I'm not blaming the DNR because they don't make the rules. Politicians do, but it's like we're overpopulated in a lot of areas, and 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 that probably where it it goes awry very quickly is that you know Georgia where we both live you hunt that's where your farm is correct me if i'm wrong but it's the entire state like this the seasons yeah i mean the north i think the season runs a little longer down here and i'm sure somebody can speak this a little better but uh the north is a little different in how in the duration of the season but it starts at the same time uh, bow season comes in september you know we're shooting does or you start shooting with a rifle mid-October um but where I'm at and I guess I would I would venture to guess up through the middle of the state I mean by the time rifle season comes in the rut's here you know I mean you're it's hard to do doe management on the front end uh like you do in South Carolina um and every state's different never they have their rationale for regulations but um yeah I mean it, you're early season you're having to choose do you want to let that doe cross knowing that there might be a buck falling or do you want to get your doe man you know do you really want right. to get doe man and then late in the season it's a lot harder to kill does down here i mean it's you know they're kind of wise they've been had a lot of pressure put on them and um they've they've learned where the stands are and they've learned how to kind of hunt or how to how to live being hunted and everybody kind of puts off that doe. I'm going to, I'm going to kill my does late. Well, in my experience, that's a lot harder proposition than it is trying to kill them early, but you're having to choose between trying to kill that buck that might be tailing that doe. I don't, you know, so, um, I like the South Carolina model a lot better personally, but y'all's doe numbers are a little different. You know, you're right about Georgia because when the season opens, um, you know, if you're bow hunting, uh, which, I don't have the percentage in front of me, how many licensed hunters are shooting archery equipment, but bow season, you know, it's not the rut. Um, you're going to get the diehard hunters out, but by the time rifle opens up, I mean, like you said, you're right there, right. The, right. The front end of pre-rut, rut, wherever it is in your local area. And do you want to start, uh, you know, taking out does or do you want to get that target buck that you got on camera? So, whereas, I'm not saying South Carolina has, has flaws. Uh, I'm not saying they're great. I, I, I just know the state because that's where my farm is and that's where I hunt. But with the season being so long, it's got its pros and cons. It definitely does. But with it being right. so long, and I've talked about this, you have, you, you have like different seasons within the season. You got the early velvet season. You can hunt them for, you know, a couple of weeks while they still have velvet. And then you can't you can't hunt uh, does until or you know mid September, 
and that's in you know that's about a month before you know our rut really kind of pre-rut really starts so you can take some does out and then give it some time before the rut starts you got the rut and that now we're in that late season where deer are just you know feeding they're they're just kind of going back to before the before the rut but with, but with georgia i i feel like it, it kind of forces people uh to take out does into the season which i wonder if my farm the same property was just transplanted in georgia would i do it that way and i and i i don't know i i very well might i might would be shooting yeah. those late i don't know yeah i mean i i that's always the age-old question and people always ask me especially since i've been involved with this podcast i mean you i usually refer them to you but um the question always is, you know, why do y'all shoot, you know, what's your take on when you should shoot does? And you hear it all the time, you know, on social media or other publications. And I don't think there's a right answer, but I, I do, I do know that people, well, I don't want to shoot them late because then they're pregnant, you know, and I might be shooting next year's buck. I'm like, well, if you shot it early, <laughs> she wouldn't have got from me. Like, what, what does it matter? I don't understand what that matters, but if that's your rationale, I mean, if you have a, I don't want to shoot. Yeah. Okay. I understand that, but I might be shooting next year's buck or in three years buck or whatever. And it just doesn't, that doesn't make sense, but. Well, yeah. and, and I mean, yeah, joking aside, I, I, we had a button buck that was shot at our farm by a guest. Um, shit. No, we had two button bucks. Yeah. <laughs> we had two button bucks over the past seven days killed at my farm and both of them. I don't even, I wouldn't call them buttons because, you know, they're fawn bucks, but the, you know, the little buttons are no, you know, pierced the hide. So there were little tiny spikes, which makes it even worse. But so like that, that's next year's buck that they're shooting. So, you know, <laughs> like the doe you're pre- shooting now is pregnant with a, with a, with a buck fetus. That's going to be what this, these guys just shot. Yeah. I mean, to your poor Corey, to your point, excuse me, you're just splitting hairs. It's like when someone says, you know, I got this big buck on camera. I want to let him breed through the season, you know, breed during the rut, pass on those genetics, and then I'll kill him. And, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that re- the biologists know, but there's a lot they don't know. Um, and they do know about genetics. It's just the, the sire, it, you know, the offspring may or may not look anything like the father. It could, might not. So in that point, you just start splitting hairs. I, I feel like you got to come out with a good plan based on your property and, and your huntability and strategy. And, and it kind of starts to, I, I think ultimately the question people should be asking, but they don't know how, and it took us a long, it took me a long time to figure it out. I was like, how many does, how many does? And what I'm doing at my place is different than someone on the other side of my County. So I would say to people just just to keep start keeping records, keep records now, observational records, your you know data from the skinning shed. If you bring it to a processor, sit there and wait for them. Have them pull the jawbone or learn how to do it. It's, it's very easy. Make them weigh it and don't leave until they weigh it. Type type thing. Also, um, universities and extension centers. Um, Georgia has got a great wildlife program. Deer Lab, Clemson does. Auburn, Florida, Mississippi, University of Tennessee. I'm sure there's a place in Virginia. I'm, I'm forgetting which one. So every major state in the South has a major university that is doing this kind of work 
throughout a lot of the states. Meaning what I'm saying is they are publishing articles and they're publishing density studies that is readily available on their, I know people have heard it, heard it, maybe heard me say this being a dead horse about, you know, my place. I found all that on the internet. I mean, these type of studies don't, don't get published in magazines and people don't talk about them, but they're readily free read them and kind of immerse yourself in them. And they'll tell you what they're seeing. And then from there you can kind of gauge, (laughs) I mean, at least that's, that's, that's another uh, tool you can use to kind of help, help you with how many deer. I think another big part of that Mark is, um, and I've kind of learned this since I've been hunting up there with y'all. Um, there's a lot of different factors. <clears throat> there's a lot of different factors and everywhere is different. Like you said, you manage yours different than another property across the County. Um, and, and talk and having the opportunity to talk to the biologists that we've had through this show and through NDA and what, whatnot, they rarely speak in absolutes. It's always, you know, yep. uh, you know, data points to this, or we observe in some conditions, this, and, um, I think if you're trying to manage a, a piece of property, uh, the biggest takeaway I've had is, yes, it matters. You know, you, you got to kind of look at it like I have X amount of acres that I can, I can manipulate. I can adjust. I can cut trees when I want to. I can, you know, plant food plots. But you really have to manage, you know, the – 5,000 acres around you. You got to know what your neighbors are doing and take that into, take that into the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to know what your, what your particular area, the deer densities are because up there, like at your farm, we shoot them early and often. We shoot every day we see plus 20 more, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the, you know, we joke, well, that's because of high de- deer density. That's not going to work for somebody um, hypothetically in, you know, Tennessee that doesn't have the same density. You know, that, right. that, you know, if you go out and just shoot every doe you've got, you may have, you may have some different impacts than what you have in, at your place. Cause it's a exactly. highly managed property around, you got good bedding on one side. That's not ever going to be, you know, manipulated or, or done for deer hunting. And then you got farmers on one side that are, you know, shooting every deer they can, you know, with predation tags. So it all goes into the equation. And, and I learned that a lot from biologists listening to them. Just it's all, everything is nuanced. They rarely speak in absolutes unless they're talking about moon phase, which is beyond me, but uh, (laughs) they they rarely speak in, in definitive conclusions uh, because there are some variables. Yeah. Yeah. And and if anyone, you, you're right about that. And, And I've never, I've thought about it, but when, when we do these interviews with, uh, you know, biologists and people that have earned doctor doctorate degrees. And I mean, th- this is their career there. I don't ask them certain questions because I, I, I'm not going to put them in a place. I know they're not going to answer them. I rarely ask them like opinion or like theory type questions. Cause they're not, you know, I get, I get it. You know, things change and they don't want to be, be uh, quoted saying yeah. something, but you're right. So like, yeah, I mean, man, I mean, someone could be, uh, someone could be, I mean, a little bit further north of me in, in South Carolina. If you're north of Columbia, somewhere trending in the mount, you know, mountains, you know, hilly terrains, you might not have the same uh, 
have the same habitat, bedding quality. So that's why it's important to look at your deer and keep those records. Because if like what I've been putting out this week on my social media about kidney fat, uh, NDA did too. Um, and I put, I've got a, my latest article about doe data. If you're looking at all that stuff and you're only killing a couple does to fill the freezer, that's fine. If you're, Read those articles, and if you're seeing that type of stuff, that you know, quality deer, you know the 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 fawn does that are that are getting pregnant. You know, it was interesting um, when when you and I interviewed Bronson Strickland, and I asked him about um, fawn does getting pregnant. And I've read articles, and there's articles written by, uh, you know, back in you know QDMA days about being 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 one foot in the grave. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure K Kip Adams wrote an article like in 2015. I pulled up when I was doing doing that, doing that article, doing some research just to make sure I wasn't, you know, uh, cross referencing anything. But people talk about being one foot in the grave. So, like, why would you want, you know, a fawn? doe the six months old to get pregnant and then she's in gestation and then she's becoming a mother when she's turning one why, why would you want that, that 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 seems like those new fawns are set up for failure especially if the fawns are being born later and they're being dropped later it just it's not good but then bronson what bronson said was he was like yeah it's not he said it's a good thing as far as the herd quality it means you got a good healthy herd but it's not really great for the deer itself, but it makes you wonder. I mean, that is that, you know, part of their survival and, and, and how they keep up, but nonetheless, it is a product of good, of good, of good quality habitat. So if you're seeing that kind of stuff, or like we shot um, a yearling doe last week, one and a half, and she was pregnant with twins. That's great. You know, it's that type right. of stuff, good kidney fat. What else? I mean, I mean, healthy deer, just, good levels of fat, good solid weight, um, and your food plots. How do your food plots look? Can you can you grow food plots? I mean, I, how many people do you talk to over the course of a hunting season, Corey? I know I do, that they can't grow food plots because of the deer. And, and, and it's like, there's probably two things. Either you're planting too small and too little, and they're just wiping out. You don't have enough other food, or you just have too many deer. And so you're, you're just like burn. I mean, we've burned a lot of money at my place before we really started to, you know, hammer those. Yeah. And if your food plots, you know, um, again, I've learned just so much kind of in the past four or five years, I guess, being involved in NDA and then coming up there. But if your food plots are your main or the only major source of food for your deer and you have, and you're in the south, basically, <laughs> you know, you're south of the mountains. Um, you're going to have problems, you know. I mean, you you got to have natural food and for a lot of different reasons. One, it's, it's pretty cost effective, you know, burning and disturbing ground and and asking the land to give deer what they need. And then you're trying to augment it with food plots and creating your kill plots and stuff. But if you're only putting food plots out and that's the only food that the deer have, yeah, man, you're going to have a hard time growing them. You know, you're going to have a hard time growing food plots just because the deer got to eat and they're going to eat the best thing available at the time. Yeah. So yeah. they're going to browse you down, you know, and that's what I've, that's what I have at my property. Yeah. I'm not that in spades at my place. I have very 
poor um, woodland habitat for deer. Um, we need to rectify that by opening some, you know, ground, you know, open some canopy up. But my food plots just get mowed down. I mean, they are, they get mowed down. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. And we're, we're just today, we're just kind of hitting all the high level points. But when I talk about food plots, I'm talking about like your huntability where someone plants a fall food plot and they want to rot hunt, hunt over it. They want to save it, you know, to where it's one of the best spots. They want to have the does coming in and they want to have those bucks cruising in type thing. If you want that kind of scenario, but the deer are just mowing your food plot down, you're never, it's never going to get to the rut at that point. That that's what I'm talking about. And, and I'm not going to start, you know, diving into food plots this episode about, you know, what's a kill plot, what's a, you know, a plot big enough for, you know, nutrition throughout a longer period of time. But if you just want to have a food plot hunt over and, and, and you want it to last a good long time, then if, it, if they're mowing it down, then you might have too many deer. So, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people hear us talk about shooting every doe and then 20 more and everyone, they, they don't need to do that. And and quite frankly, there's times where I wish I didn't need to, but um, if you don't know, just, you know, look at this stuff, you know, see what you can find out about your own county um, or your local area and look at your food plots. Look at the, I mean, I, I think when the, when the, when the better ways is just look at the health of your deer you know it's just the the weight the fat and all that so that that's what i want to talk about is that just you know doe management and and there's been some articles um this this fall past couple months about well turns out guys we do need to start shooting more does i i've seen some stuff coming out of michigan or wisconsin or minnesota one of the states some other places it's like yeah like it it never it never ends. And when you look at the fundamentals of QDM, which we'll cover in a later episode, you've got, and this is what uh, Al Brothers and Murphy Ray, you know, wrote back in 75 is they broke it down as far as like cattle, you know, because it came out of Texas. Texas has a lot of cattle. And that's kind of, I think, probably what the basis was. But you have your standing crop of deer. They're alive right now. And then you've got your natural mor- natural mortality, they, most biologists say 10%. And then you've got how many you kill. And then you've got the does that they're getting pregnant. And, you know, one, they're going to give birth usually to one and start doing twins. But if you're not killing those and, and, and look at those numbers, they're just going to keep getting the, the herd's going to get bigger, larger and larger. That that's what yep. it is. So if you're not doing that, then you're, you're, they're going to eat you out of house and home. Well, it's like it. I mean, it's, it's probably a poor analogy, but it's if on a if you're managing a piece of property and it's and you've got the conditions improved, um, it's like cutting your grass, man. If you don't cut your grass, um, it's gonna get it's gonna get out of hand. It's not gonna do what you want. Now, if your grass isn't growing, you probably got a conditional issue. If you don't have deer, if you're not recruiting fawns, you probably got a an issue. But yeah, you got you know it's all you're going to have more deer coming in. If you've got improved property, you're going to have deer finding, you're going to have deer, um, you know, proliferating on that piece of property and for quality deer, you have to do it. I will make a comment though. I can see how it could be confusing and it's confusing for me because if you listen to the, the guys out of the Midwest and, you know, the upper Midwest, like Michigan, everything, 
for the past few years, they've been beating the drum about CWD. And I'm, I don't want to open a can of worms here, but, you know, every deer is going to die. You know, uh, it's, all, it's over. It's awful. You know, they're all, it's, we're doomed. And then, guys, we got to shoot more deer because, you know, <laughs> we got to shoot more does now. Like, wait, you just told me for past 10 years that, yeah, you know, and I'm sure, Ted Nugent, if you're listening, I'm sure you got something to say on that. But uh, it's, uh, it is an interesting position we find ourselves in. I'll put it that way. Man, I would love to get, can you imagine if we got Ted Nugent on and Dr. Deer himself with his little bolo, bolo tie, <laughs> get them talking. Dang. Oh, I will only be on there if I can get Craig Harper on there, if I can get those three. Yeah, you're right, man. I mean, it's, it's, and I don't want to, you know, go down those, those rabbit holes, but you got CWD on landscape and you know, you got EHD, but EHD is just kind of there and you, you find them if you're, if you're out there that time of year, like we did just happen to be well, there, the deer steward course, then you got CWD and then you have, you know, predators, coyotes. And, you know, I mean, there's, and I'm not, I don't want to get into predator hunting because, you know, it's, it, it I mean, you, people need to try. I mean, we, you were, you know, uh, coon hunting and, and I'm going to do it at my place, but it's, it's, it's like, it, it's, you got to find a happy medium that like works on your property because it's like what, so we got to, we got to do this stuff for CWD. EHD's there, but we don't want really to do anything with it. And we got coyotes that are killing every fawn, but then we need to kill every doe too. It's like what, what it doesn't, it's just like the, none of that all, none of that all makes sense. Like they don't, they don't go together. Yeah, it's definitely counterintuitive. And, and, right. You know, I think they all make sense in their own box, but again, it all works together. And I don't know. I mean, I, that's, I'm not smart enough to to unpack all that, but we we have the opportunity and luxury to talk to some of those people. And it would be interesting to to bring up some of that. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you reconcile everything? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I'm not anti-coyote hunting. Like I've, you know, behind me, I got a picture of the farm. And so like, if you look at some of those, if you look at some of those coyote studies about, um, and there's some like at the, at the Savannah River site, like, you know, the fawn mortality, how many fawns they're killing. A lot of them are not the best quality habitat. They're not doing certain things. I've, I've seen some at some military bases and, and I've, and I've heard, the researchers talk about it. It's just open landscape. You know, there's not much cover like this. So it's all subjective. Just like most biologists say, it, it, it all depends. Like to your point, it all depends. Like what kind of habitat do you have? If you have a lot of thickets, the deer can hide. I mean, it's it's kind of a simple, I look at it as a, as a pretty simple like prey-predator relationship. Like right now, I'm trying to kill does. We, you know, we see does right now, seeing some does on permanent stands can be tough, but when you get out and climb and you kind of dance around those permanent stands, man, they're pouring out, they're doing the same thing. They just, they avoid us. Right. And so, um, and that, you know, you know it, good. And that can be just to finish that. That can be deceiving because, um, like, you could take our property and you, Corey, you were asking this week about different statistics, and it got me thinking about statistics of permanent stand hunters or hunts on permanent stands, and then mobile hunters and pulling the data as far as what they're seeing and killing from those type of things. Um, and when I've been going up there past number of times and hunt, hunting up a climber, I see a lot of deer far more 
So it can be deceiving if you're hunting on like tried and true stands that have been there for 10, 20 years. We have that in my property. You might not see many deer. You might not think you don't have any. You've killed them all. But then you go somewhere else and you see a lot. You see a doe group of six or 10. And it's like, okay, they're just dancing around us. And it it uh, it, it's just something that, you know, you just got to kind of look at. Um, and it's not something that it's going to completely devastate your herd. But if you want to get some good quality bucks and you want to get – if you want to start, and this is kind of one of the reasons why, and you know this, Corey, about why we went so aggressive with like the with a doe tournament in September and really getting after them, is because I was tired of getting bucks on camera and not killing them. You know, getting on camera even after they they go hard horned, which they should be kind of staying around the property or throughout the season, but we're not killing them. So what's happening? And I I think our huntability has gotten better. Um, by just decreasing uh, some of those does and making those bucks show themselves more. I mean, and that's a whole other level of just your huntability. So it's not all we're, we're, we're talking about here is, yeah, the management, the habitat, food plots, and the health, but it also was like, what kind of hunting do you want to have? Yeah, and that's a good question. I mean, you, you – I think on the, on the QDMA – I guess they still have it on the NDA page, but um, their management, uh, it's like a management template, you know, it helps you kind of get up there at your goals. And mm-hmm. it's one of your, like, what do you want to, you know, do you want to go sit in a greenfield and see 50 deer, you know, 60 deer? Is that what you right. want to do? Or do you go target, you know, you want to have better, you know, higher quality bucks and, you know, not saying they're mutually exclusive, but, you know, you can plan around that. If you just want to see a lot of deer, I want to go see deer. I don't want to have, you know, a lot of skunked hunts. Well, okay. And you have a lot of deer, but there's, you know, there's going to be a, a less opportunity to kill bucks usually, you know, quality bucks. But um, I I don't know. I mean, they, that's what makes this so great. You know, when you get into this side of it, um, that's what makes hunting so great. There's, always variables, always things you're trying to figure out. You're trying to overcome, especially when you're hunting whitetails, man, those things are the probably one of the best survivors in the mammal world. I would think, you know, aside from rats, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they survive. That's what they do. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, you're right, man. I mean, not to nerd out, but like the, the, the different predators that they survived, that are those predators are now off the face of this earth. You know, the, the ones that like really humans couldn't, um, I mean, I've heard Ronella talk about it, like the big, um, I'm drawing a blank on the, on the sp- specific name, but like the, the big bear, you know, all those oh, different bear, bear species bear. and everything that like humans really couldn't get around until they were off. Um, yeah, man, they're ultimate survivors. So to your point, it's all about what you want to do. What do you want to see? Some, some people, they want to go to a food plot in December and see 20 deer. That's great. But just, you know, I, I just, I just want to kind of shed some light on some of the stuff because it's, it, it's my ultimate point is with these articles and in this podcast, this is nothing new. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden it's 2023 and, eh, you know, we're, we're seeing a shift. We're not seeing a shift. This is always, if you have, if you have healthy and robust habitat, you're going to have deer. I mean, deer, dude, deer thrive in Walmart parking lots. I mean, I mean, deer will yeah. live just about anywhere from the Florida Keys all the way up to the frozen tundra. 
I mean, they, they, they can make something work. So if you have a better habitat and you're working on things, you're burning, you're doing this and that and redneck blinds and this and that and scent control, you, you're going to build population up and you need to start kind of diving into it to make sure things aren't getting out of hand. This is nothing new. And, and I, and I wrote that in the article that I, I do think that we're seeing a shift. I, I do think there has been a cultural shift in the hunting community. And I think it's been trickling down to, to quote management or really the lack thereof of being light being shed on management because of the, of the, you know, horn porn, uh, big bucks, you know, love of big bucks. And, you know, we saw the big buck explosion early two thousands and it's just, and it's great, but you know, now we're seeing a shift of people, you know, trying to push dough management again. And it's like, well, you know, it didn't go away. It's just that right. people were just obsessed year round about box. So, um, yeah. Well, what, what, what was the, you told me when you got back from the deer study group, what was that, uh, correlation between doe weight and antler size? What was the correlation with that? Yeah, I was talking with Craig Harper about that in the, in the DS2 course because it was one of his students. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it was Mark Turner um, who was one of his uh, grad students at, at uh, UT. And it was a study that – so the ones that are discussed at the conference in, fe in February will be published later that year. It was something like – the study showed that for every 10, 10 extra pounds, I think if I have it right, for every 10 extra pounds a doe puts on, it correlates an extra two inches of the buck potential that the that the fawn bucks that she produces, what you know, what it adds to them, which doesn't seem like a whole lot. I thought it was a one for one. I thought it was after 10 pounds. It was like one for one pound or something. I, and and I it know. could be, and it could be, I, I was, I was taking, I'd have to look back at my notes from that, but yeah, I mean, it's a direct correlation of extra meaning that if you keep records and, um, can you hear that? What? My, my dog in the background? No. Okay. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a direct correlation. If you keep records of doe weights and then you start improving habitat, you start building the weights up, you should see, I mean, that should be another reason to, to regulate does. Um, well, it makes sense if your does, if there's more for your for an individual doe to eat, and you can see that by the weight, yeah. then that means bucks that you're seeing are, are eating more. There's more for them to eat as well. And that's going to once they take care of, you know, the the natural body functions of living and that's taken care of and surviving all that surplus is going to go into their antlers. I mean, that's, it just makes sense. You know, I mean, antlers are, antlers are probably the last thing they need to survive. And, you know, it's, it's why I, they, well, I don't know about that, Corey. I, I, you sent me a clip of some guy talking about antlers and they, I mean, they're weapons. They're razor sharp knives during the Ready rut and, and they defend Before. themselves and kill and they and they even kill the they even routinely kill the females during breeding yeah, season correlations with <laughs> with the, they're roving through the woods and what was up with that guy i mean that was like the hottest take i've ever <laughs> it was just so no but i'm glad you brought that up about that study because that 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 you know that that's if uh if you're really trying to grow the best bucks 
healthy, healthy does, man. I mean, you know, if 50% of the buck's potential for the antler size comes from the doe, why wouldn't you want the healthiest doe? So it makes sense. Listen to this. I, so I heard something we, you know, always, we always joke about like old wise tales in the, in the woods and different things people say. I heard this, this, this week, uh, there was a, a, a guest up there. My father shot a nice buck. He said that he didn't want the meat uh, because the buck, let's see, the venison would have too much testosterone in it. You ever heard something like that? No, I haven't. I mean, I, haven't. <laughs> I mean, what about like, I mean, would, would certain does have too much estrogen like during the heat? I mean, I don't, I just, <laughs> it's just crazy because that guy probably heard that at some point. At some point, he probably heard it and was like, you know, <laughs> I mean, oh, man. But there's um, a podcast I recently subscribed, well, uh, Instagram follow I recently started following. But um guy was talking about training dogs. Did I send you that? I think so. It was basically saying the old timers, like he was, in, he was into coon hunting or something, and the dog always ran deer. So the guy was like, you know, these old timers telling them what you need to do, and you need to put the dog – in a 55 gallon drum with a deer hide and deer scent and then roll it down a hill and <laughs> <laughs> the dog in it when 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 off a, off a deer say that again i i'll send it to you if i didn't already but the this guy got into coon hunting when he was young he's younger guy you know he's listening to these old timers around the you know i guess around the local sporting goods store or whatever and they were you know his dogs kept running deer you know obviously you don't want that to happen and uh he told him well you need to break him for doing that but you need to do it by getting a 55 gallon drum and putting a deer hide in there and some deer scent and then rolling him down a hill with that 55 gallon drum the dog's inside obviously yeah 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 to, <laughs> i guess associate <laughs> I guess associate deer hide with, you know, deer smell with, you know, that experience. But <laughs> it was like, I did it. <laughs> I almost killed that dog. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, mean, I mean, that dog <laughs> might be afraid to even step on the same property as a deer after that. I mean, can you imagine? Probably, probably afraid of his owner. He's going to put him in a barrel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that sounds horrible. Um, <laughs> that's, I mean, I couldn't imagine. Yeah, it's. I think it was like the Hayden, Alabama podcast or something. It was just it's a bunch of local guys, and it's it's a good follow. I mean, it's funny, you know. Sometimes funny. you hear stuff like that, and, and you wonder like, does the other person question it or not? Or I mean, I get it. That's. Uh, I mean, you think about it. You get into it. I mean, how much stuff did you hear around? You know, your hunting club when you were fifteen, sixteen years old from a guy who, you know, got a lot of gray hair you know, speaks very confidently. And now you find out like, what? That, you know, that was, oh. that was a hot take. But at that point you didn't know any better. That guy's, you know, a lot of wisdom and old guys. And there's a lot of not. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, man, what's you, um, are you going to be hunting over the, over this Christmas break? Um, what's your plans? Christmas, you know, we're probably gonna, probably gonna let the duck hole sit for a while. Um, so we'll not be doing that. And then I may slide out for a deer hunt or something. Uh, really I'm my, my key now is to get my son Shepard. who's right here with me now. Um, get him on a, on a buck, not to shoot, but just to shoot one with him. You know, he's, he's amped up about that. And 
he had a great time coon hunting. So um, good, good deal. Kind of the, up there, and then hopefully make it up to South Carolina after the break. You know, make yeah. it up there. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, we we are we're going to be packing up today and heading up to my in laws' farm in Georgia, and um, they've been doing some forestry work for a number of years now, and they got some good cutovers and. You killed a really nice buck up there last year, right? This year, this week. Yeah. Um, it was two years ago. I rattled one in, and then I killed one the year prior. Um, I saw one last year in a cutover, bed uh, bedding down just barely. Yeah, they they you know um, they've got some good pasture fields, cows, different things, and then. Uh, Doing that forestry work, man. Once you kind of learn those basic steps, especially right now being cold, so that's my plan. Just take it easy, you know. Hopefully, get get y'all up there and a couple other guests to our farm and yeah, see if we can't. Um, we hit a milestone. Uh, so last night, dad dad shot a deer in the uh, middle fields, three hundred forty eight yards. He said was rifle dropped her with this uh, Jarrett. Um, and that's, that's impressive. That was that was deer deer total number seventy one of the season. So I think doe. I think we've shot eight bucks now. So would that be a clubhouse single? Clubhouse single. We did have someone that had tried a. Um, we didn't know this until after. Did I tell you this? Yeah, you told me. I mean, this is one of those things where you know we. Um, I mean, I've had friends. I, I've had. I, I'll keep this short. I've I've had I've had friends like uh you know we'll we'll be up there for the doe tournament. You know I'm I'm going over you know, you know headshots, you know this that you know do this do that safety protocol. You did the same thing yesterday at your duck hunt, all that kind of stuff. And you know when I'm talking, I make eye contact with people, and I'm talking. I some one of my friends, it might have been you or someone. No, it wouldn't have been you. It might have been Francis or someone looked at me afterwards and was like, "Hey, you were looking at me when you said no headshots for you." You know, were you talking talking about me? And it's like, no, you just you have to say these things because you just don't you can't let things uh, up to assumption. Well, a, a guest um, was hunting permanent stand, food plot, oat field, and he went for. He told us so. He shot twice, shot once, missed, and then picked up um, picked up the spare. I guess it wasn't a spare because he didn't make the first hit. And usually, when you hit when you go for that second shot. What's what's usually going to happen, Corey? Uh, usually, not going to make a great shot on it. Usually, it's running. Well, usually. but okay. So let's say the first shot is supposed to be on a doe, whether you kill the doe or not, and then you have a second shot. A, a, a lot of times, you got a very good chance they're going to be fawns. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have another shot opportunity after that first rifle shot, a lot high high, high probability that that second shot is going to be on a fawn. You might not know it because you acted quick. And then um, there's a 50% chance that fawns as a buck, you know? So he later, the skinning shed, he told us that he went for a quote clubhouse double, which as if that was something, have you, have you ever heard that term, that phrase? Not until you told me the other day. I, and I think it's only like, just for like the real tippy top, like skeet or like quail type places where you'll, where, you know, you've got one shot and you kill two. Maybe a maybe a you know when you're hunting pair or not hunting when you're shooting skeet, uh, sporting clays, whatever, and you got two that may cross each other. You try to time it right in the middle. Maybe it lucks on quail. 
you've probably done it, Corey. I've done it. I've plenty of people have done my place where you kill two deer with one bullet, but you don't try to do it. And after you've done it, you kind of learn to not to watch out for it because right. the second bullet might not. So yeah, so he was way he was trying to make a double headshot because the deer were feeding and trying to line up the two heads close enough to make a clubhouse double. Just mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> one of my brother's friends have the best line that he said it sounds like something that you order at wendy's a clubhouse <laughs> double <laughs> so yeah no I've, I've had i've had it one time where i i shot a deer and i wound up killing two and that was actually because some bullet performance stuff i mean it went in and it made a there you go. hard turn and and wound up hitting another deer in the neck i mean it it worked out as two does but uh definitely not you know, again, you're hundred percent right. You learn, okay, don't, we don't want to do that. That's not a good thing. Cause that's, yeah. that's a one shot, one kill is what you're trying to do. And um, yeah, it's just, I don't know the guy and I'm going to make some assumptions here, but it, to me, it's just incredibly disrespectful to even try something like that on somebody's place. You know, it's disrespectful to the animal first and foremost, and then the, the property, but I, you know, I'm sure the guy's a lovely guy, but um, that's a learning moment there, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, and and I'm not. We're not making light of it because it's you know taking it's, taking the unethical shot. We're we're I'm I'm pointing it out because that's something no one. I mean, there's no way. Let's just say in headshots are very unethical and, and for a number of reasons. But let's just say the first bullet kills the first deer. You think it's going to go through the head, and then it's going to kill the other one? It's probably going to be angled so off if it hits the other deer, it's not going to kill it. Probably. I mean, the 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 chance is so low. Wow. I mean, you're way more, way more likely to take the jaw off of two does is what you're more likely to do than, than kill two does. So yeah, just <laughs> don't, if you're listening, don't do that. And guy, if you're out there listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're a great guy. Just don't do that again. So yeah, that's right. So, all right, man, we'll good talking this morning. Appreciate the duck hunt yesterday. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I know Francis had a, had a great time yesterday's property that first yeah. time being there duck hunting. And then, man, those were I trophy. Think, those were trophy coons that he caught last night that y'all caught. Yeah. I was trying to talk him into mountain them both. Cause you know, he's getting those two gadwalks. <laughs> Maybe have like the coons kind of pro, pro, uh, well, prowling. On the well, he told me that. So where we treat those coons last night, where uh-huh. oh, it, it was over by where a lot of the wood ducks roost. You know, there, I have like some flooded, uh, short, I wouldn't say timber, but it's just kind of like scraggly, you know, water oaks and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and a lot of wood ducks roost in there. And you could hear them while we were treating these coons. You could hear them, you know, um, back in the water over there. And he said, well, that's what's eating your ducks, these two coons. And I was like, and he said, yeah, he said, they, they eat ducks, you know, they'll catch and eat ducks. I'm like, oh, well, well, good. If I didn't know that, I'd have killed them a lot earlier, but, um, I killed coons a lot earlier, but yeah, I mean, they were right there in that area. I mean, I'm sure I definitely, I'm sure that they eat the eggs and everything. Um, yeah, saying, I, I don't eat right here can eat ducks. And I was like, yeah, that, 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 that's not good. We got to get a waterfowl guy on, man, kind of talk about this kind of stuff. Cause I, I don't know if they would really, you mean like chasing down live ducks or are they going to the nest and. I'm sure they get the nest. Things of a coon hunter, I don't know, but he just he said like. Well, I I can tell you something. They are eating. They are eating very well, or they were eating very well at your place. 
<laughs> they were they, they were good healthy. They were uh booner, booner raccoons. If they like if they like duck, yeah, they were they were probably yeah. probably feasting. Well, awesome man. Well, I gotta get rolling. I I know you do too. Anything else yep. you want to hit? Oh man. Sign off? No, I'm looking forward to kind of getting getting finished the season strong and then yep. starting. There is no off season, as Josh Pate likes to say. It's just uh it's on to another season. I'm looking forward to burning. I gotta cut fire breaks and hopefully he'll come down and help me with that and, and kind of get the plan laid out for next year. So yeah, I I'd love to help you out, help you out, Mern. I love setting fires on other people's properties. I don't, I don't, I don't worry about anything, you know. <laughs> All right, man. See you, Corey. Right, Merry buddy. Christmas. Right. Merry Christmas, man. All right, see you. Thanks for listening.